trying to sell me something that I don't want, or those who tell me that I'm due a PPI refund when I know that I'm not, or owed compensation for the accident that I've never had. And I confess it brings out the worst in me, and then they say, oh, really, reverend? <laughs> ah. And when things wind you up, and we're sure we're right, we tend to act confidently, close to any other possibility. Sometimes that's good, for it means we won't get ripped off, perhaps, or succumb to untruths or the ungodly. But sometimes our confidence in what's right or wrong can lead us to act irrationally or inappropriately without love or grace or an openness to the Holy Spirit. It can sometimes blind us, too, to new possibilities. As I get older, I recognize in me the traits of Victor Meldew, uh, BBC's archetypal grumpy old man in the sitcom One Foot in the Grave. I don't believe it! And we're all like that at times. There are things we just don't believe, like other road users, especially if they don't know how to drive. Those who fail to indicate, for example, or push into a lane of queuing traffic at the last moment when everybody else has had to wait, or drive far too slowly or park badly. Of course, I never do any of those things. And if I do, it's clearly a different matter. People need to be more patient. There's always a good explanation for my actions. My circumstances warrant tolerance and forgiveness. And other drivers just need to learn to be patient. The truth is that righteous indignation can sometimes cloud our judgment of what is the bigger picture. We can be quick to judge, but slow to correct ourselves. So always think twice before you point the finger and beware of double standards. Now just hold on to that thought for a moment and let's get to this story of the uh, Jesus healing a woman. And as we do, I want you to ask, as you think about the story, where are you in the story? Let's ponder three things from our gospel lesson. First of all, we remember that Jesus came to set people free. Our story tells of Jesus bringing release to an unnamed lady, a woman who was defined by her condition, using a term that we quite rightly don't use today, a crippled woman. Her disability meant that she would have been on the fringes of society, her freedom limited in so many ways, though she'd managed to get herself to the synagogue that day. Imagine, for 18 years, she'd been bent over and she wasn't able to straighten up. She wasn't able to see the world as other people saw it. She couldn't look to heaven. She missed out on so much. And she didn't really have any hope for the future. Yet, Jesus, as he's teaching in the synagogue, sees her, it says. In verse 12, he called her forward, and then he proclaims healing and freedom too. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. 
he lays his hands upon her, and immediately she straightens up. And then she looks heavenwards, and she worships God quite appropriately there in the synagogue in a way that she's never been able to worship before. Jesus transformed that woman's world. Literally, her worldview changed from being something which was looking to the earth to a way she could stand tall and see things from another perspective, free to move in a new way. She could look people in the eye again. They could see her differently too. Once this woman was unnoticed, or at least they got used to her that way, but now she was in the spotlight. Her new life in Christ had begun. Our compassionate Lord and Savior came to set people free. And here Jesus certainly liberates this anonymous woman. She's no longer limited by gender or her condition. She has a new status. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. And she comes aware in that moment that she's valued, that she's loved. Just think for a moment where you are in that story. Are you someone who at times feels imprisoned, whether it be physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Do you come to church sometimes feeling crestfallen or downcast, hopeless today? If so, I want you to remember that Jesus sees you, and he came to set you free. Or are you getting very familiar with the need that is around you? Have you become, if you're honest, a little bit thick-skinned to need when it presents itself, and perhaps a little bit uncaring at times? Are you suffering for what they call compassion fatigue, tempted to level blame at those who are less fortunate rather than coming alongside them? Do you judge the condition of others without looking into the complexity of their lives? Do you have time to ask people their name? Or are they just that lady or that woman? If so, remember that Jesus sees you and comes to set you free. Or are you someone in the crowd or congregation who observes what's going on, not sure what to make of it all, perhaps an agnostic, wavering in your allegiance to faith or no faith, perhaps apathetic and a little bit cynical at times? Do you lack faith or hope that healing is actually possible and wonder if Jesus really is who he claims to be? If so, I believe Jesus sees you, and he came to set you free, too. Or are you anti-Jesus, unhappy with his claims, or the way that he challenges or disrupts your life and asks a lot of you, perhaps skeptical and full of questions? I believe Jesus sees you this morning, and he loves you, and he came to set you you free too? Or are you someone like Jesus, who sees and acts like him? Are you committed to not only seeing people, but enabling them, calling them forward 
to receive the life that God has for them, that you believe in healing with all of your heart and you want to be a channel of his healing in the world, generously praying for all who are in need. If so, remember that Jesus sees you too. And he came to help you to set others free as well as giving you freedom in his name yourself. In John's gospel we read, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This story is a story about freedom. And if you're not a disciple or uh, are concerned about people who are not disciples, be open to the Savior who can sometimes surprise. He may upset as well, but he can lovingly release you from things that you think you could never be released from. Today in our service, we will take bread and wine. Our table is open to everyone. Everyone can come and receive the bread and the wine as we remember that Jesus came and gave his life upon the cross that you may be set free from sin and death, receive forgiveness, a new beginning, and stand tall before him because he's wiped the slate clean. There's no need any longer to grovel. Today, this service is about freedom. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So first thing, remember that Jesus came to set people free. The second thing is, reflect before you point the finger. We get back to Victor Mildew a little bit here. That day in the synagogue when the woman was healed, you'd think that everybody would be overjoyed. For someone had found healing and in God's house as well. What more appropriate place for that to happen? But the synagogue leader, who is more like an administrator than a rabbi, really, wasn't a happy bunny. For Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, which was to be a day of rest. He'd broken one of God's commandments. Surely there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not the Sabbath. You can see the logic. Of course, we're not really sure why he said that. It could have been to do with the law, or it could have been that he was a little bit worried about all the stir that was causing, all the crowds that were gathering in the synagogue on a day that was supposed to be a day of rest rather than a day of chaos. We don't know. Of course, teaching about the Sabbath is important, with all the excitement of the Rio Olympics at the moment, I couldn't help but remember Eric Liddell this morning, the Olympic runner who held on to his faith principles, who refused to compete in the 100-meter final at the 1924 Games because it was to take place on the Lord's Day. I'm sure many of you have seen Chariots of Fire, the 1981 film that picked up the story. For little, it was right to ensure that Sunday was a day of rest. It was for the Lord and for nothing else. Now, all of us have our own principles. We will interpret God's word as we see it needs to be interpreted today. And we have to beware as we do that 
when sometimes double standards could creep in. Now, Eric Liddell wanted to keep to his uh, um, ideals because he didn't want double standards, but sometimes the decisions we make can lead to other double standards. The synagogue leader was so sure of his ground. He knew the letter of the law. He was wound up, irritated by Jesus. He couldn't believe what was going on. And he pointed the finger and he accused Jesus. And Jesus simply, in return, points out his double standards. You hypocrite, he says. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give water? He had a point. And we can see where the synagogue leader was coming from. Observing the Sabbath was the right thing to do. But it had always been the central to Jewish spirituality, the Sabbath. But actually it wasn't always that clear how to interpret what was work and what wasn't work. And you'll see this in other places in the gospel as well. But one thing we do know is that the Sabbath was meant to be an enabling gift, a delight, it says in Isaiah, not a burden that would prevent God's wider work. Now, reading from Isaiah related to the time when the exiles had returned from captivity, and I think it's quite interesting. Here we talk about captivity, and they're returning back to freedom. They were in Babylon. They come back to Jerusalem. It was sometime in the late 6th century onwards, uh, BC, that is. And they'd been slaves, and they were now free. And so the prophet reminds them that in their new freedom, they should be concerned for social justice. Let me read verse 10. Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. In their freedom, that was something that was crucial. There were needs that needed to be met in their midst. And through Isaiah, God gives them hopeful promises the parched places would be watered once again. It was an encouragement uh, to them as they came back to Jerusalem because they faced the momentous task of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed whilst they'd been in captivity. Broken walls would be repaired. Streets and homes would be restored again. And the revival wasn't just to be physical, and material, it was also to be a spiritual revival and repairing with compassion and justice. But as they sought to rebuild, they were to keep one day as special, a holy day of rest, a renewal and worship set apart for the Lord. Business and personal interests were to be put aside to restore the heritage of Jacob by honoring the Lord their God, an appropriate work-life balance, if you like, and a relationship with God that was obedient and in perspective too. As Keena was saying uh, a few weeks back, we need to consider whether we get our lives in balance or whether it's just work, 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 work. Is there time 
for rest. Our Sabbath might not even be on a Sunday. It may be another day. But do we have that time of rest and renewal and reflection? And I have to say myself, there are times where I don't get that right. And yet that rhythm is really important. And the synagogue leader knew all this. He knew all the history. But actually, they didn't come from captivity to be enslaved by the letter of the law. The law was important, but God was about setting people free, not putting them into captivity again. And so what Jesus was concerned about was, yes, it was the Sabbath in the Lord's house, but here was somebody who was in captivity, who couldn't worship, who couldn't find their rest. And so in a sense, his actions in healing the woman trumped, if you like, the need for rest in the Lord's day, in the Lord's house. In setting a woman free from crippling bondage, Jesus was once again in the saving business, the business of our God. Rules and regs at this point became secondary to the need for shalom, healing, harmony, being at one with God. He released her on the Lord's day. Now I think this has a message for us all, including the saintliest and the wisest Christians here. Sometimes we have to question our traditions and our rules, especially if they somehow lead us to missing the point. When we are very faithful and we are trying to work out our Christianity, and we are sure we've got that right, we have to be very, very careful that we don't become a victim ill-due, and that we jump upon anything that is not quite as we think it should be in our Christianity. We need grace, basically, especially if it could possibly lead us to missing the point and prevent us hearing the whisper of the Spirit in these days. And this church is a healing community. And therefore, we need to be in the business of setting each other free. Christ is the one who does that, but he uses us as a vehicle to do that. And so sometimes there is a wider principle that goes on. And when we hang on to the letter of the law all the time, we can miss out what it is God really wants us to be, the reason why the rules are there in the first place. Nothing should get in the way of the saving business and the liberating business of God. So where are you in this story? Are you, and let's be really honest about it, someone who can be very quick to point the finger? If you are, and sometimes by nature we are like that, we have to understand that, just stop and pause and reflect before you do so. Remember my picture of the driver in the car who's so sure he is right but if you were at the other end of the point, could you perhaps see things a little differently? 
It might be that there's a need for getting to know each other and for dialogue. Stop, pray, listen to God. For remember how they pointed the finger at Jesus and they accused him and they were so sure they were right and they crucified him and they tried to snuff him out and yet the saving business of God went on and he rose again because nothing shall enslave us from the power of God. And we need to be sure And sometimes it's right, we do need to point out when something's wrong, but we nearly need to be sure that we are doing the work of God and not hindering the work of God. We need to be gracious and life-giving in all that we do. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 68 verse 9. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Lovely words. So remember that Jesus came to set people free. Reflect before you point the finger. And the last point is really brief. Rejoice when people are set free. Verse 17, when Jesus said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. We have a choice how we respond in any given situation. And I pray that we may be a people who'll end up rejoicing with others rather than being humiliated before our Lord. I pray that we will be faithful to the gospel but not hypocritical, life-giving and not life-constraining, humble enough to weep with those who weep, but also to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I believe we all need to embrace the change that Jesus inevitably brings to our communities and to our lives, to our families as well. So, the next time you say, I don't believe it. I hope you'll remember this sermon. Think before you accuse. The time when you think or maybe even speak out. There are too many refugees in this country. We're just a small island. I don't believe it. Think about the haunting image of that blooded little boy, Omran, and consider whether you'd say the same thing to his face. When you have to spend so much money or invest so much time at work or in the church to make those places a welcoming place for those with special needs, and you say, I don't believe all these things that have been brought in. Just consider what it must be like to live with a special need and to feel constrained so much of the time. When we have visitors in the church who just don't know how we do things, And they even sit in my seat. I don't believe it. Consider whether you would feel welcomed by your actions if you sat in somebody else's seat in another place. When you don't believe it, consider whether God believes it. 
Consider whether he believes in you and your behavior at that time. And be the person he wants you to be. And do the things that he whispers for you to do. There are so many ways we can do justice on the Lord's day and express the compassion of Christ. If we're to keep the Lord's day holy, yes, we need rest. Yes, we need to be together for worship. But we need to be people who set each other free. I end with Isaiah's words. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and later, if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast in the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Let us pray.